Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. So today we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 16. Do get your Bibles and uh, get that open. Uh, a brand new chapter, everybody. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, Sam. Please slow down because this, we are struggling to keep up with this series. It is moving on so quickly. Last time I was speaking at the end of chapter 15, the most popular, the most well-known parable in all of the Bible. Everybody knows it. It's the one called the prodigal son. And that was aimed at the Pharisees. And it was trying to communicate the heart of a loving father in pursuit of forgiving of and restoring of uh, this wayward child who goes and squanders all, all his own father's wealth. And now we turn the chapter and we find ourselves in the least popular, the least spoken of, the most confusing, the most unappealing parable in scripture. And I bet you're like, brilliant, can you not just skip it? I'm going to be honest with you, I would have. And I'm trying to stay faithful to the text, but we're going to go through it. Because amongst this passage, this tricky passage of Scripture, is some gold, and I think it's worth us mining. Jesus put it in there for a reason. He said some important things, so we're going to get into it. This time, though, Jesus turns away from the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and he turns to his own disciples. This is teaching just for them. I wonder if he hushes his voice, says, gather around, lads, Listen up, this one's for you. And he begins to tell this story about a really despicable bloke. This bloke has got a good job. He manages the affairs, the financials of a very rich fella. But sadly, this guy has been taking liberties. He's lazy, he's apathetic, he's taking his job for granted and he's begun to misuse the boss's money. Maybe he thinks the boss is so rich that if I'm just a little bit you know, careless with the cash, how would he even know he's got so much money? It becomes sloppy. It becomes wasteful. The scripture tells us he's, he's called squander. He squanders the wealth. And that is exactly the same word used of the, parables, uh, the parable when we hear about the prodigal son. The son who took the inheritance of his still very much alive father and squandered it. And so there are some weird little similarities that if I had loads more time, I'd contrast the juxtaposition of the two parables. Yes, I did use that word. Of the two parables, both the, the, the prodigal son and this guy are squandered. He's supposed to look after the cash. The money is not his. He's supposed to be a good steward. And what he does, though, is the exact opposite. And it doesn't take long for someone to, to decide that they're just going to grasp this guy up. Someone goes to the boss and says, you know the guy who's supposed to be looking after all this stuff? Well, here's what he's been doing with your money. And so the boss decides he's going to call the, 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 to call the guy in and have a chat with him. And when he arrives, I like imagine he goes into a room and there in the corner is sat Les Hutchinson and he knows the game is up. This is not his usual one-to-one -one or annual appraisal. This, this is a, a sacking. 
This is going to be bad news. And so he's told he's got to go. But before he goes, he's told, go get your books in order. Go get the accounts together. Come back and tell me where things are up to. Get the books in order. Then clear your desk. P45, you're fired. The bad manager begins to have a flap, like he's in all sorts of a mess. But he's not like a God-fearing man. We don't hear that. He suddenly turns to the Lord in repentance and on his knees said, Lord and Father, help me, or anything like that. He doesn't seek help. He doesn't beg, even like the prodigal son. In desperation, he turns himself inwards and he says, what must I do? How do I survive? How do I fix this? You know, this bad man is not going to think of a good and a righteous way to get out of it. He's just going to do more bad things to try and get out of it. And so he calls everyone uh, who owes the boss money and he starts to begin to reduce their bill. Like the first guy, he says, you know what, cut your bill in half. And then he says to the next guy, take a fifth off. And he's thinking, I've got no job. I'm too weak to labour, he says. I understand that. Like sometimes I pass people on the N6. Well, no, they're supposed to be working, but they're on the mobile phone. That's a different point. But the idea of working outside all day, every day, I would struggle with. And he's too proudful to begin to beg for money. He knows he's going to be unemployed. It's going to be really hard uh, to, uh, to employ again because of his reputation. What on earth is he going to do? No hard labour. No begging for money. And he realises that the boss has already sacked him. Like he can't be sacked twice. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll make all the people who owe my boss money happy. And then when I've got nothing, maybe they'll provide for me. Maybe they'll put me up when I need a place to stay. Maybe they'll welcome me into their homes and begin to give me food. Because they'll remember the great things that I did for them. Now the scheme... The scheme is not a good scheme. Like, it's really not. And it's certainly not going to get him his job back. This guy is utterly appalling. He's despicable. He's already wasted and squandered the wealth of his boss, which is pretty much theft. And now he wants to go even further and reduce the debt of others, which really is almost like stealing from his boss all over again. And the parable, I feel, should end here. It should be about a despicable fella who gets caught out and is in disgrace. And the moral of the story that Jesus should teach his disciples is, don't be like that guy, he's a naughty guy. Don't be like the naughty guy. Bad guys go to jail or something like that. No place for guys like that in the kingdom of God. Amen. All over. Job's done. But that's not it. That's not where the parable goes. There's more to this. There's like a twist. There's an upside down kingdom moment, as you might expect, where where things just go a little bit different. In in in, in verse 8 it says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. Wait. What? When the master finds out that the scheme, the scheme that this guy's been running, reducing the debt of all, all the people who owe him money, he doesn't flip his lid. He doesn't call the cops. He doesn't even go and get some of his boys to go and kick his head in, which I think is a preferred option here. In fact, he does the exact opposite. He praises the guy. 
I can almost imagine the boss when he finds out someone comes in and says, you know that guy? And he's like, yeah. You, you, you won't even guess what he's done. He's just reduced the debt of all the people who owe you money. And you can just almost imagine the big boss just going, you are No. You did you are. Almost like taking it back, like, like the audacity, the cheek of the guy. And then he's like, fair play. That, well, fair play, well, good idea. Like, you did what you needed to do. You faced poverty and homelessness, and you used your skills to, to, to find a way to provide, yourself, pr- provide for yourself in the future. And the master begins to applaud him. And then he has him shot. And I think that's probably right. No, that's a joke. But at the end, you know, at the end of the parable, it seems to be that the, the, the great big boss man thinks that the bad employee is worthy of celebration. And this is where people struggle. Like this doesn't make sense with all that we know of the gospel, all that we know of Jesus and his teaching. This feels a little bit askew, like has it been lost in translation when they tried to do the bits where they converted it from the Greek into the English. Maybe it all went a bit doolally. What's going on? It doesn't work. Why is the boss not fuming? Why would Jesus tell a story like this? That is the question that we have. Well, Jesus begins to unpack it for us. He provides a number of lessons. And they're built on two key important points that I want to give you to have in the back of your mind as we begin to go through this passage. Number one, Jesus, when he teaches here, talks with an internal perspective. You've got to hold that in your mind. Jesus is going to talk about some things, but you've got to bear in mind he has an eternal perspective. Number two, He believes that everything belongs to God. All that we have belongs to God. The money in your bank account, even though you feel like you earned it, belongs to God. All the clothes that you own, all your favourite gadgets, they belong to God. All the things you saved up for, all the things you're paying off, they belong to God. Even your most trusted possession handed down from your great-great-grand that you really wish you could sell because you'd like to buy something that you actually like, even that stuff belongs to God. It's not yours. This is the rule, the one rule more than any other rule that I teach my children. It's the mantra that when I get an, become an old man, they'll say, the thing that you said more than anything else when we were young was this. Whenever they squabble over toys, whenever they uh, fight over a device, whenever they disagree over whose food it is, as soon as I begin to hear the word mine, mine, it's mine, it's mine, I'll say, whose is it? Whose is it really? And they know now that they can't put their name to anything. They have to say, it belongs to Jesus. And I say, and so what does Jesus say that you should do with it then? And they say, Jesus tells us to care for it and to share it. Usually they say it not in a happy voice. They sound frustrated. They sound hugely deflated and disappointed. But what they know now is Jesus wants good stewards. Jesus wants to give us stuff that we take good care of. 
He doesn't want us to squander it. He doesn't want us to waste it. He doesn't want us to be careless with it. But actually, beyond that, he wants us to make sure we're sharing everything that he gives us. Jesus asks us to care and to share his things because they have eternal significance. The first point is that the bad manager is commended because Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, second part, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people, than are the people of the light. Jesus says the people of the world, the non-believers amongst us are wiser people than the people of the kingdom, the people of the light when it comes to money. I generally say that's pretty true. But the problem is, is that their motive is wrong. And even if they don't think their motive in how they deal with money is wrong, they have no eternal perspective. And us, the believers, the Christians amongst us, those who are called the people of the light, have an eternal future. We know where we're going next. And that should be the thing that informs how we spend our cash. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What does Scooby-Doo does that mean? (laughs) This is where people turn off because they're like, that does not make any kind of sense. But let me go into it. Jesus told of a bad manager, uh, the prospect of being homeless, cleverly devises a plan and a solution that would mean he has somewhere to stay when everything comes to an end, when his money is gone. Jesus teaches us to do the same, but with eternity. One day, your time will be up. One day, your life will come to an end and you're going to die. Sorry, guys, if you're hearing that for the first time. There'll be ministry time later on. But before you go, use your wealth. Remember, all wealth belongs to God. Use your wealth, therefore, to gain mates that will welcome you into heaven. Use your money to gain some eternal friends. Now, this is tricky because we all know that the only way to secure a place in heaven is to trust Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that gets us into heaven. You can't buy yourself there. We are friends with Jesus because he loves us first. And therefore, we also know you can't make him love you anymore. But as children of the light, those who trust Jesus, we need to be wise with the wealth that he's given us. Those who are friends with Jesus need to spend it like he would like us to spend it. Remember, think of the bad guy. He begins to squander his wealth, squander the wealth of the master. And Jesus is like, don't squander my wealth. Use my wealth properly. Because if you love me, you'll love what I love. And you'll want to spend my money how I would want it to be spent. How would Jesus spend his cash? Think for a minute how Jesus would spend his cash. He spends it on the poorest of the poor. He spends it on mission. We must be as clever as we possibly can to focus as much of the money that we are given to steward, given to look out for, 
We must do all we can to point as much as that towards the things of the kingdom. Two months before he died, Martin Luther King stood up to uh, give one of his incredible speeches that he gives. And uh, partway through his talk, which was called, I think if you want to search for it, I think it's called something like the, let me just see if I can find it. I can't find it. Anyway, it's about being a drummer boy. So search Martin Luther King drummer, drummer boy speech and I'm sure it'll come up. Partway through this speech, he begins to just talk about uh, the end of his life. It's not like the big speech that I've played before that happened just days before he died. Like it's almost prophetic about what's going to come. But just two months before, he begins to talk about his own death, his funeral and almost begins to give his own eulogy. And I want to read it to you. It goes like this. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, don't wait. I don't want a long funeral. If you, get somebody, if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for someone to say that day that Martin Luther King tried to love someone. I want you to say that day that I tried to be on the right on, to be right on the war question. I want to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say I was a drum major, say it was that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. That I was a drum major for uh, righteousness. And all of the shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money left. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I want to leave a committed life behind. I want to say that all I, and, and that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my life will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living is not in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side, not for any selfish reasons. I want to be on your right or left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition. I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make this old world new. What an incredible thing, he says. He says, I don't want the wealth of this world. I don't want to be known for any kind of accolade that you can give me. I I want to be known as someone who feeds the hungry, visits the, uh, visits the prisoner, 
loves the poor, serves other people. This guy has got heavenly friends. He set his life on a course that says, I want to have friends in high places. I want to have friends that welcome me in, that are ready for me when I die. I want to be the same. I want to be, when I meet Jesus, that there's a load of people saying, flipping it, lad, you did all right. You did all right. You did all right. Dying with nothing left. He says, I have no money. I want to spend everything that I have. I want to give everything away before I go. Yet dying with everything. A life, though momentary, spent well. It fell super short. And it will fall short for you. Even if you get 90 or 100 years, this life will be over in a moment. We are just passing through. And what Jesus gives us is only, only a stewarding of his eternal stuff. And he says, use it while you're here. Spend it lavishly, like I do, upon the poor, upon the hungry, upon the lost, upon the least, the last and the lost. Spend it on the needy. Spend yourself on the needy. That's my favorite verse from Isaiah 55, 58. Spend yourself on, on behalf of the needy. We need to spend ourselves and our wealth on something other than ourselves. On the hungry, on the hurting. If you want to do some eternal banking, spend your money on the least, the last and the lost. Proverbs 19, 17 says... Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. A scripture that I find just incredible. As I begin to be generous to those around me, it's like I'm making God a debtor. And it's a crazy concept. But God in his mercy and his grace will meet us. Will meet us. And will repay every penny. Every penny we spend on the needs of the broken is a, a penny that we spend in heaven. Christ and his incredible teaching about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, when he talks about who will get in and who won't, talks and identifies himself as the poor and the broken. Matthew 25, 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will answer, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Do you see what he's saying? Spend it, lavish it, pour it out upon the poor and the needy. And in doing so, you're pouring it out upon Christ himself. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for Jesus. Spend your money on the broken and the lost. And it's like you're buying Jesus the greatest present, the only present he truly wants. You know, I've always thought about that in Revelation. When they begin to sing the songs over Jesus, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. When they go on to talk about how, how great he is and how awesome he is, I'm thinking, what is the gift that you can give to Jesus? If you were buying him a birthday present, if you were buying him a... That's the Christmas present too, I just realised that. But if you were doing that, if you were doing that, what would he want? He'd want you to bless the poor, bless the needy, give money to mission. Jesus takes our spending 
personally. Spend his money on the poor. And when you spend it on the poor and the lost, you spend it on him. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your money is spent on earthly things, then it's hard not for me to say your heart probably is rooted in earthly things. And if your money is spent on heavenly things, like giving to the poor and the lost and the broken, it's hard for me not to say, I think your heart is set on heaven. Jesus wants your heart. And so Jesus wants you to store up treasure in heaven. To do so is to store our affections for Jesus. We store up treasure by giving to the poor. St. Ambrose says this, The bosom of the poor, the houses of the widows, the mouths of children are the barns which last forever. You want to put your treasure somewhere good. You want to put your treasure somewhere that lasts forever. Then start to give out to the poor, the widow and the children the hungry children. Anna Lape says, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. Now, this is a tough one, right? Uh, this, this, this has informed the way that I purchase things for myself. This is why I only buy fair trade, ethically traded clothes. This is why I go to charity shops. But I want to take it further. This is not just about making sure that I, 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 I don't cast a vote for the kind of world, this temporal world that I want. Actually, I want to take it further because our spending casts a vote, an eternal vote. Our, our spending reflects our love of Christ. And so my question is, is it selfless or is it selfish? Is it for the kingdom or is it for the world? Is our use of money bringing ourselves and others closer to God? Hebrews 13, 16 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Not, not concerned with the sacrifice of animals, not con concerned with any other sacrifice than lives laid down and money given to the poor. Lives turned out for the least, the last and the lost gotten quite stuck in that bit let's move to verse 10 whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much so if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property who will give you property of your own? Here, a kingdom principle comes into play. If you're trustworthy with a, a small amount, you can be trusted with much. I remember at a prayer day 20 years ago, a guest came along who began to prophesy over me. And opening my hand, they placed a 20p in the center of my palm. And they spoke these words over me. You have been faithful with the little, and now God is going to be trusting you with the much and I kept that 20p in my wallet for many many years until I was desperate for a parking fee so I spent it but the principle is deeper even than that kingdom principle here Jesus is saying if you are trustworthy with worldly wealth you'll be trusted with kingdom riches 
Like, if you're trustworthy with the little, you'll be given more, and more, that's the worldly stuff. But if you're trustworthy with the worldly stuff, then you get to be trusted with the eternal stuff. What is the eternal stuff? The eternal stuff, I don't know about you, I'm not going to heaven because the crowns are good or the streets are paved with gold. Not interested in that. The worldly riches, the kingdom riches that Jesus talks about, if you get into his like, teaching, if you really get underneath the surface of what he's saying, the true riches of the kingdom, which is the most upside down thing I'm going, is the least, the lost, and the last. Take care of your worldly wealth. Take care of what Jesus has given you in this life and it begin to trust us with the least, the lost, the last. Jesus will trust us to take care of the broken. Trust us to take care of the poor. Trust us with the weakest of the world. And I truly believe that this is something, I'm not saying this because Andy's here, because he's not. I do think that's something over the message. You know, for years and years, we've been faithful with what God has given us. Like for 30 years, we lived by the skin of our teeth, trying to get through month after month, trying to do mission Jesus' way. And I really do feel like Jesus has said, therefore, I will trust you with the poor, and I'll trust you with the broken, and I'll trust you with the weakest, and I'll trust you with the lost. And I even feel like in this season, where he's given us the grocery, where we've got more broken and poor people coming through our door than ever before, it's like he's saying, I trust you, because I trusted you with the small, and you did well with it. And he trusts us with evangelism. I think about the festival. I think about all our mission guys going out and about around the nation, and I'm like, I feel like the Lord is saying, I trust you. Because you were faithful with the small, I now trust you with the things of the kingdom. I make you my own. I send you on my mission. I trust you with the riches of the kingdom. The richest thing, the richest riches of the kingdom, surely is the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says to us today, you've been faithful. Now receive, now receive the good news and take it. You know what? It's clear that there's this inseparable link between money and faith. I don't know if you see it in this passage, but there's this inseparable link on those who truly love Jesus will truly want to use their wealth in order to serve him. And this is why Jesus ends with this. In verse 13, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is not God. But it can become like God in our lives because it can sometimes begin to control the things that we think and we feel. It can be begin to even control how we spend our time, where our best attention go to. It can master us and it can cause us even to reject or hate God. But we must redeem it and we must redeem our understanding of it. Money is a gift from God. Money isn't the root of all evil, but love of money can become so. Money is a gift from God to be spent by us on the building of his kingdom. So let money serve you as you serve God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I realise there's a lot in this text. I realise it can be a bit heavy. 
but these are your words. I love that you speak them. I pray that you'd let the truth of them land on our hearts. Lord, we've sung how devoted we are to you, how much we love you. And I pray, Lord, that wouldn't be just lip service to you today, but that would be reflecting in every area of our life, the way that we live for you, the way we serve you. And particularly this morning, God, I pray about our approach to cash and spending. Lord, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you that you've given us much. And Lord, I pray, help us to steward it well, to spend it how you would spend it, to spend it on the lost and the broken. I pray together we would see your kingdom grow, your kingdom be established, your kingdom come. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.